So this morning, I want to make you hungry. I want to make you hungry. Because some of you maybe are already hungry, so it's not going to be a hard job to do. You skipped breakfast, you had a cup of black coffee, and you ran off to church. Some of you got up early, you had donuts and scrambled eggs and some sausage McMuffins, and so you're kind of full. But I want to make you hungry for God. I can't actually do that. I've been praying that God by His Spirit would do that. Because there's a hunger that we need to have. And sometimes it can be stirred up. You, you think about hunger, physical hunger. If, if we had like fresh bread coming right out of the oven and you could smell that, you might not have been thinking about eating, but as soon as you smell that, or how about chocolate chip cookies? Toll House chocolate chip cookies coming out of the oven and you walk into the kitchen and you smell them. Before you walked into the kitchen, you weren't thinking about eating. But as soon as you smell that fresh bread or those chocolate chip cookies, all of a sudden, I want some of that. And you can't get it off your mind because you're hungry. You're hungry for that experience, that, that freshness, that taste, that, that, that only the fresh bread with butter and jam and, and molasses or, or those cookies with the big chocolate chunks in them can satisfy. Well, this morning... Instead of talking about physical hunger and getting all hangry because I don't have chocolate chip cookies for you. Hangry. Hangry is that word of hunger and anger put together. Sometimes you get hangry because you're hungry, but there's nothing around to eat. And so people get on your every nerve. Instead of getting hangry, I want you to realize that God has for you a banquet set for you. The thing that we need to realize is that in order to live our lives in this present generation, this difficult and wicked world that we live in, in order to live our lives for God, we have to stay hungry for God. We have to keep consuming his word. We have to keep spending time in his presence. We have to keep praying together and with one another so that we can stay hungry for God. Because if we fill up on all the bad news that this world wants to shove down your throat, you'll be full. You won't be full of God. You'll be full of all the depressing things that happen in, in a week's time. I don't know how many of you are news junkies, but you got to be careful, you news junkies. There's too much bad news. And if you're not filling up on the good news, on the promises and the hope that we have given to us by God in his word, then you're going to be like the person that comes to Thanksgiving dinner, but is just eating two big bags of Doritos. Two big, like super family-sized bags of Doritos. Because you couldn't wait for Thanksgiving dinner. You smelled all those smells, but then you just grabbed some chips and you just kept eating and eating and eating and eating and eating. And then you sit down at the table and you're like, oh, it doesn't even look good, even though it's amazing. See, appetite's a funny thing, and it's interesting because God's Word talks about appetites because we all have one. We all understand this, this terminology of being hungry or thirsty and needing to have a drink or needing to have a good meal. So Jesus made a statement in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he said to his disciples, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They will be filled. Filled. They will be satisfied. They will be satiated. They will be, you know, like you are after a good meal. You just rub your belly and lay in your lazy boy and say, oh, that was good. They will be comforted by that feeling. That's why we call it comfort food, right? It, it brings a sense of fullness and, and a sense of joy into our lives. Being hungry for righteousness is being hungry for a right relationship with God. Righteousness is a fancy word. It's a, it's a Christian word, but it means to ha- be in right relationship with God. And do you know how we can be in the right relationship with God? Us sinners Only through what was done on that cross, not that particular one, but a cross. We can only be right with God through our relationship with Jesus Christ. Because you could work yourself to the bone trying to be good enough and trying to be righteous enough and trying to do all the right things and say all the right things, and you will still slip up. Because you, like me, are a sinner in need of God's grace. God's grace came to us through Jesus Christ. He makes us righteous. He gives us, Scripture says, an image, his robe of righteousness to put over us. Because without it, we ain't no good. But with him, God sees him in us and over us and through Christ. He sees us and he welcomes us into his presence. Hallelujah. That's the gospel. So walking day by day as a child of God, following Jesus, listening to his word, feeding on it, and obeying it as it applies to our lives, sharing that kind of love and grace and mercy with the world, we are filled. We can only walk in righteousness through personally knowing the power of God through the Holy Spirit. You don't walk in righteousness, as Aaron said, through your parents' good relationship with God or through your heritage or your lineage or through the fact that you're sitting in a pew in a big room with a bunch of other people. That's not walking in righteousness. Walking in righteousness is having a relationship with God through the power of the Holy Spirit and growing in your knowledge of God, knowing him more. That's why we sang that song this morning. I want to know you more. I want to know you in a deeper way. You see, God loved us enough to reach out to us first. And when he reaches out to us, we have an opportunity to respond, to accept his love, to accept his grace, his forgiveness, and his mercy. And I pray that you have done that and that you continue to do that. I want to explain a little bit about um, this illustration I heard from, from Francis Chan t- uh, this past week or this past month. He was talking about going to a restaurant. Go to a restaurant when you're hungry and looking at the menu and reading the description of those wonderful dishes, you know, whatever your favorite dish would be at a restaurant, fancy restaurant. You're sitting there, you're reading it, you're saying, oh, that would be wonderful, that's the thing I would choose, and then put down the menu and walk out of the restaurant. Are you full? 
Are you satisfied? No. Sometimes we do that with God. Sometimes we show up in church and we say, oh, that would be nice. Yeah, that would, I would pick that. That would be great. And then we walk out and do nothing about it. We remain hungry. And when you're hungry, you're really hungry, you'll eat anything. You ever hear someone say, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse? I mean, who would want to eat a horse? But, but we get to a point where we'll eat anything. Eve ate an apple she wasn't supposed to eat. Right? We will fall into temptation if we do not fill ourselves up in the love of God, in the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ on a regular basis. When you're full, you don't need to eat that junk food. When you're hungry, you'll eat anything. Just look at the junk food aisle in, in, in a grocery store. You'll eat anything. Read those ingredients. You'll eat anything. You don't care what's in it when you're hungry. Well, God wants us to live healthy lives, whole lives, full lives for him so that we can fulfill his purposes. And we have to fill up on him so that we can walk in the fullness of God. So one thing that I've been doing a lot of lately in my personal time with God is I've been listening to other people's testimonies, kind of like a new tool that God's using to sort of like stir me up a little bit. Because I read my devotionals, and I read chapters in the Bible, and I journal, and I pray, and I pray for you, and I gather with other people and pray. But testimonies, there's something about them. Something about them that just sort of amazes you again at what God is able to do. Opens up your eyes again. Gives you faith again. Like, God can reach anybody. If God reached that person, God can reach anybody. Testimonies are important. I was with a group of students at a local college on Friday night. And in the, in the time that they had together, they, you know, they, they had some songs, and they, they said, you know, here's the time for some testimony. Does anyone want to give testimony about what God is doing in your life? And there was about 40 students there, and not one of them budged. They had nothing to say about what God was doing. My heart was broken. Like, what? I know God is working in your lives. You can't recognize it. You don't stop to acknowledge it. You're not grateful for it. Even the fact that you have breath in your lungs, even the fact that you can afford to go to this expensive college, you should be praising him and thanking him for his son and for his forgiveness and for his grace and his mercy and his love and his purpose in your life. You should be excited about who he is. And they just sat there. Interesting, my talk with them was about the Holy Spirit. It was about your relationship with God is carried on through the ministry of the Spirit in your life. Well, I want you to listen to a testimony. I want to stir up your faith because I think that's what testimonies do and they help us to realize God is working. He's working in that person's life. He must also be working in my life and in my loved one's lives and in the people that I work at work with in their lives. So I'm going to play a story, and I want you to notice the word hungry in Hussein's testimony. Okay? Let's play that this morning, Andrea. My mom told me you have to play guitar when I was 17. I started taking lessons, 
And because I was already a poet, I was easy to put words and music together. Originally, I was born in the United States, but uh, my mother's from Brazil, my father's Palestinian. I was brought up in a nominal Muslim home because uh, my family agreed that we would be brought up Muslim. My other uncles also married Brazilian women. Their wives uh, would have pictures of Jesus. And I just remember looking at those pictures and I always had questions about it. You know, who is Jesus? But then when I was uh, nine years old, my parents divorced. And uh, when my mom left, my father was overwhelmed. He didn't know what to do. And so he took me and my sister to his village in the Middle East. And we would go to some of the holy sites and I saw these pictures of Jesus being crucified. And, I, and then I, I started wondering, how come I never see pictures of Jesus when he's old? One day I asked, I asked my dad, I said, you know, well, what do you say about Jesus? In our village, because our village is Muslim, we called him Isa. And he says, Isa is a great prophet, but there's another prophet who is more important for us. And he's Muhammad. Because I was so spiritually hungry, you know, I devoured Islam. I believed in it. I was fully convinced about it. After three years in the Middle East, I came back and I wanted to come back to America to preach to Christians so that Christians would become Muslims because I believed that Islam is the last religion, uh, the last prophet, and the last book. One thing that I used to do is that whenever I would walk by a church, I would spit at it. Whenever I see a telephone pole, I would look away because it's the shape of a cross. And uh, one day, uh, I, was, I was in high school. There was this kid named Brad, and he, we cut class together, and we went to the library. And uh, I went with him because I wanted to borrow an album by the Eagles called One of These Nights. Uh, this was in the 70s. <laughs> he said, you know, I want to ask you about what you think of Jesus. What do you think of, like, the Bible and stuff? I said, well, I don't believe in the Bible. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Muslim. And I rejected the message that he was trying to give me. But it was within a few weeks of that. Uh, it was the Easter of 1978. And, and this was in the days when they only had four channels. And so uh, the only thing that was on was an Oral Roberts crusade. And he was just talking and then suddenly it was like the Holy Ghost fell on me it was just like Whoa! and Jesus was right there I had been a devout Muslim as soon as I saw him it was like seeing an old friend I, I like that I knew before and I knew it was Jesus and I knew something else I knew that he's the son of God one of the biggest things I remember is the emptiness I felt before Jesus came. I remember as a Muslim, I would try so many times to come before Allah and I would put the Quran in front of me and sit down and say, Allah, do something in my life. Allah, uh, let me feel you. Allah, let me know that you, that you care about me. Let me know that you're there. And nothing ever happened. And now I've heard about it so many times that people say there's a God-shaped hole in every man's heart. What blesses me is what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. He said to her, I have water. If you drink of it, you will never thirst again. And when Jesus came, he gave me that water. 
And man, it changed me. It was so powerful. And when I came home at night, my dad said to me, uh, he says, Hussein, you know, it's my Arabic name, Hussein, sit down. And I sat down and then he said, uh, we're family, aren't we? And I said, of course. He says, we're Arabs, aren't we? And I said, of course. <laughs> and he says, we're Muslims, aren't we? And I didn't know that much about the Bible, but I knew that Jesus said, if you deny me before man, I will deny you before the Father. And I said, I said, uh, no, Dad, I'm not a Muslim anymore. You know, he took a shoe, threw it at me, and then he, he asked me to leave the house. And I became very rebellious, and eventually my dad kicked me out. And when he kicked me out, I went to live with my mother in uh, Reno, Nevada. And when I went to live with my mom, my mom is Catholic, and she allowed me to go to church. And so I started going to church, and uh, I just started growing in the Lord. And I mean, it was just such a, a, a powerful time and the miracles and the joy and the peace. And my life was so radical. It was so full of the, the love of God. It was shortly after that, you know, that I felt the burden to go to the ministry. I wanted to go to my people, the, the Muslims, specifically the Arab Palestinian Muslims, to tell them about the Lord. I believe that our job is to plant the seed. We're not supposed to convert people. We're not supposed to convince people. We're supposed to plant the seed. Jesus said, you know, that the sower goes out to sow. And so I want to just plant the seed. And I, and I know they're going to reject it initially. But if the seed is there, the Holy Spirit can come at night like he did with me and then, you know, do a miracle. And that does happen. When I was in the Holy Land, I did many ministries. I was involved with the church there. I was involved with street evangelism. I was shot at, you know, my, my car was shot once because I was mistaken for an Israeli settler. I was, you know, threatened. You know, one time I had a, a guy call me and said, he asked me, where are you? And uh, I was in Gaza City at that time, not at my home. My home was in the south of the Gaza Strip. Don't come to your home tonight because they're going to come kidnap you tonight. <laughs> but another ministry that I did that I, I, is that I used to sing with the kids. And I did many songs with the kids that I, I wrote specifically for the kids of Gaza. Why did I become a Muslim for six years? Why did that have to happen to my life? I believe God allowed it so that I would be able to go to them now. With understanding, I found the truth. I'd almost would change it <laughs> to the truth found me, <laughs> you know, because he came to me. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. The truth is a person. When you know Jesus, you know the truth. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Beautiful to see how the Holy Spirit uses people. Pictures of Jesus crucified in someone's house or in the Holy Land. Brad, the rebellious high school student who was also skipping school, but asked him and was rejected. Remember, we talked about rejection. The message isn't always accepted right away, but the message must be preached. We are called to be witnesses. So keep praying for those who you have shared Christ with or those who are far from Christ. 
pray that God would just show himself to them like he did with Hussan. Now, you all know that Holden Chapel is 51 years old now. We had our 50th anniversary last fall. I was thinking about this in relation to a number of things that are happening right now in the world. In the 1970s, there was a great revival in our country. It was called the Jesus Movement. In fact, there's a movie out in the theaters this week based on the Jesus Movement. So if you don't know anything about it, and if you're young and you didn't live during that time, uh, you might want to see this movie. If anyone wants to go with me, I'm going Wednesday night. So talk to me later. We'll, We'll arrange and meet up there or something. But at this present time, at this moment, this morning, there's another revival that's taking place at Asbury College in Kentucky. So we're going to watch an interview in a few minutes so that you can hear from someone who was there and someone who understands what is happening on some level, as much as God can be understood when he works in his mysterious way. But before we do that, I want to define a few terms for you because they're not terms that we use every day, and some of you may not know the difference between these things. So I just want to start with with this sheet, because on this page here, it helps us to understand some of the terms that are being used right now. So renewal, personal renewal, is when God touches the heart of an individual. When for some reason, like Hussein's story, that was a story, a testimony of his renewal, of him coming to Christ, actually, for the first time. And it was personal for him. Revival is when God touches a community of faith. Asbury College is a community of faith. It's a a small Christian college in Kentucky. They have about a 1,000 or so students. But God is currently still working on touching them. An awakening is when society is actually impacted by what has happened to the believers. As the believers go out and they live their lives and they share their faith in society. So it occurs when the the wider group of people, the people who aren't necessarily God's people, find Christ through what God is doing in God's people. In American history, we have had two time periods, which we could call awakenings, which are called the First Great Awakening and the Second Great Awakening. The First Great Awakening was in the 1700s, and hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ. The Second Great Awakening was in the 1800s, and the same thing happened. But in our history, because none of us are older than 1800, right? In our history, we've had many revivals. Revivals are smaller in that sense. Often, colleges have been the primary location where those revivals have begun. Revivals has often occurred among young people, helping a new generation to come into a personal experience with God through the Holy Spirit. It's necessary that each generation carries on the flame of Pentecost, carries on the relationship that God has given us through Jesus Christ. So revivals often occur among young people. There have been several occasions when significant moves of the Holy Spirit have swept the campuses and then reached out across the nation in the history of our country. 
Asbury College campus has been one of those places where revival has occurred several times. 1905, 1908, 1921, 1950, 1958, 1970, 1980, I mean 1992, and in 2006. So I want you to just ask the Lord to open up your heart and receive the testimony that we're going to hear about what's currently happening at Asbury College. If you've seen it already on Facebook or on, on YouTube or something like that, great. Just enjoy it again. But I know many of you haven't. You've been asking me, like, what's going on and, and, and how should we think about it? I like this particular interview because Nick Hall, he knows a thing or two about revival and about how God works among young people. So let's listen to him for a few minutes in this interview together. Nick Hall, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. You're down at Asbury University right now. So it's been it's been a busy day for you. When did you get there? Yeah, so like I think most people that are here, uh, I just felt stirred to come. And so I traveled from uh, Minneapolis yesterday, uh, got here yesterday afternoon and uh, have been here now, you know, 24 hours but the people have been here for now six days. So they just crossed 144 hours, which is uh, in 1970, there was a revival that happened here that went 144 hours. So they just passed that. And uh, man, it's amazing what God is doing here in Asbury, at Asbury University and uh, in Kentucky. And uh, you can just feel the hunger. It's real. You know, what I think is so fascinating is, and you touched on it, is that this happened really almost at the exact same time uh, in 1970. It was early February. Uh, and then also another interesting fact is that that revival in 1970 fed into a revival that happened at Lee University. Uh, and we're seeing some of that start to happen now there at Lee University so maybe talk a little bit about not just the historical significance, but the cultural significance of revival going 144 hours, probably going to pass that mark from 1970. Yeah, you know, uh, one of my kind of friends and mentors would often say that revival is God's arrival. And so there's these moments in history where God uh, just manifests. It's almost like Jesus sets up a chair in a room and people just encounter his presence in a very tangible way. Um, it's happened throughout the history of the church. Uh, it's happened throughout American history. There's been several revivals and great awakenings. And so a revival is, a, is an encounter with God for the bride. It's, it's like, uh, it's a reckoning. It's a call to holiness. It's humility. Uh, it's, it's always marked by prayer. It's always marked by repentance. Uh, it's always marked by just a humble posture of God revealing himself and people repenting of sin. And that's what's happening here. I mean, literally people crying out loud, uh, repenting of sins. And then the whole audience repeating, you know, the blood of Jesus forgives you. Uh, being on the altar last night and today, people just weeping, crying out to God, people getting right with God. And again, like God always starts with his people before he goes outside, right? So like this is about uh, purification and holiness, but the, the, the goal of all of it, the goal of every encounter with Jesus is that it doesn't stay with us, but it goes to people that need him, that are lost and hurting. And so that's, you know, that's the prayer here. There's commissioning every night. 
Um, people are going, people are coming from places and then bringing the fire back. You mentioned Lee. I've gotten reports from, you know, the Midwest already. I've gotten reports of kids coming from Boston, bringing it back to Boston, people at Cedarville in Ohio. Um, you know, so it's spreading. God's moving. You know, I think what's so incredible too about revival is like what you just mentioned that it starts with the body of Christ, right? Believers uh, really getting themselves in the right heart and headspace, uh, and and really being in a posture that's an obedience to the Lord, with the intention that it'll go out into the culture. And I can't help but but bring up the fact that our culture, I think, is so desperate for hope right now. Uh, we live in such a broken world. And I think so many people are looking to politicians, right? They're looking to the government or they're looking to Hollywood or the entertainment industry to kind of provide that footing and those solutions. And obviously, as believers, we know that those institutions, uh, while they do help in certain areas, they also can do a lot of harm and they certainly cannot be a replacement for the Lord. Um, so I want to ask, where do you go after revival? Obviously, it's incredibly important to have this first step, but it's a first step. So what is the continuation of this look like for the believer? Yeah, I think I think revival should lead to discipleship and should lead to uh, commissioning work, um, reaching out. Again, the evidence that, and this isn't just true of a revival meeting, this is true of every encounter with the Lord. It's it's like the evidence that we've met with Jesus is what we do after we met with Jesus, right? It's like, are we keeping it to ourselves? Are we going back into the same struggles? Are we selfish? Are we loving? Are we, you know, it's just like it, it, you can see the two different sides. And so I think that's where this spirit of religion and judgmental Christianity or or a Christianity that wants to find power elsewhere, even like the God and country where it's like, I believe in my Bible, but I also need, you know, some other weapon or power or whatever. And it's like, no, like, until God's enough for us, like, nothing is going to be enough for us. And until, like, we're seeking power where ultimate power comes from, like, we're going to continue to find ourselves wanting and hurting and empty. And, and yeah, I think that's a little bit of what's been exposed the last two, three years is in the pandemic, with the racial tensions, with the political tensions, I think we've seen a lot of people who are, uh, you know, call themselves Christians that have acted just as crazy as the world. And then sometimes have been some of the weirdest people, you know, of like, what are we doing? You know, and it's just think God is like, man, he's enough. And either he's trustworthy or he's not. And either he's good or he's not. And so I think this is an invitation. I really see this as a moment of invitation to get right with God. It's a moment of invitation to recommit to Jesus to live in his love and to share that with others. And that has to start now. It has to start with us. And that's why revival is about me. Like it's about me. Like I'm not here for an interview. I'm not here with a camera. I'm not here trying to, I'm here because I want it and I need it. And that's when I preach the gospel, I'll tell people of all the people who need Jesus, I'm always the first one in line. That's why I preach it. I don't preach it because I got it together. I preach it because I need it. And, uh, yeah. and so that's the prayer. God start with me. You know, for the people who maybe can't get physically to where one of these revivals are breaking out, whether it's at Asbury or Lee or Cedarville or wherever it might be happening, but they're still desperate for that and they still want to have that connection with the Lord. How would you encourage them to be prayerful, not just for the people who are physically present at these revivals, but also for themselves if they're hungry for that same kind of revival in their spirit? 
Yeah, I mean, God is omnipresent, right? There's nothing more spiritual about the ground I'm standing and the ground people are watching this from, right? The Holy Spirit is where you are as you're watching this or as you're hearing this. And I believe there's an invitation right now for you to be right with God, to be reconciled to God, to experience more of the power and love of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And so there would be a couple of things like one, you know, revival again is always marked. There's this invitation, right? It's like uh, Evan Roberts, who is a part of a Welsh revival. They used to say, uh, number one, confess any known sin. Okay. So if there's any sin in your life, you know about confess it, get rid of it. Second, they would say, put away any doubtful habits. So if it's gray, get rid of it. Why are we doing it? Why are we playing games with like, I'm not sure about that. Like, man, just let's be holy. And then three, uh, commit yourself to the Lord's work. Get with other believers. So you can get with believers right where you live. If you're in Pittsburgh, if you're in, you know, Chicago, if you're in Mexico, like get other believers. If God's doing this now, let's be inspired by what's happening at Asbury. Let's see it here because God's here, right? So you start to pray and say, God, we want to do it. And then the fourth thing would be to put feet to your faith, right? Start to love your neighbor, go and share the gospel, go and help the poor, right? Those are the evidence of true revival is that it always moves beyond uh, the people of God into the streets. And so that's where it's like, it's hard to say, is this revival or not? Only time will tell. What we know is God's inviting people to turn to him. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. We're not going to watch the full interview because I've given you enough video for one morning. You didn't come here just to watch videos with me, but I needed to show you both of those so that we can continue to be prayerfully praying for this next generation of young people. This week, there had already been planned a national day of prayer for college students. It was something that was planned a long time ago. This just happens to be happening in God's happenstance um, at that same time. One of my favorite quotes that, that Nick has in that video is, until God is enough for us, nothing will ever be enough for us. Think about that. Until he is enough, until he fills our lives, fills our minds, fills our hearts and souls, we'll always be searching for something. As the first testimony said, that each of us has that God-shaped hole in our lives, and he's the only one that can fill that hole. So my first question for us, because it starts with us, is are you hungry for God, for more of God? You wouldn't be here if you didn't know a little bit about God, but are you hungry for more of God? If not, ask yourself, am I filling up on junk? Do I need to remove some of that? The, 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 the discipline of Fasting is a discipline of, of getting hungry, getting hungry on a, on a spiritual level. So sometimes you have to remove some things in order to give space for that, to give space for more of God. But the couple things that he laid out, I think I just want to repeat for you before we go. He said, revival is an invitation to confess any known sin. We don't have a, a confessional part of our worship service. We leave that up to the individuals. But I do think it's important to remember that we all fall. We all fail. We all do things we shouldn't do and think thoughts we shouldn't think. 
And to encourage the growth in our relationship with God, we should remove those things. We should ask him to wash those things from us on a regular basis. So confess those things that you know you've compromised on. And put away the the doubtful habits, the things that you're not sure this is right or wrong or you think you might just be sort of getting by with. But if God were really there watching you, which he is, but if you could have him there, you probably wouldn't do. Might be a little bit of gossip. Might be a a little bit of of something that you think, well, that's not going to hurt. I won't do it too much. Get rid of that as well. Remove the things in your life that get in between you and God and your relationship. And then commit yourself to the Lord's work. We are so distracted by our own work, our own goals, our own desires, our own retirement plans, our own children or whatever. We're just distracted by all those things. We need to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all those things follow after that. He doesn't say forget about them, but he says, I will lead you and guide you and teach you in all those areas. But seek me first. Committing ourselves to the Lord's work is an important part of revival. And then putting feet to your faith. I like that phrase. Put feet to your faith. Do something for God this week. Help somebody. Help the poor. Help those who are poor in spirit. Help those who are downtrodden. Share Jesus and the hope that you have with them. And that will be proof that you are revived, that God is living in you and through you. See, the essence of true revival is that it always moves beyond the people of God, the church, and out into the streets, out into the relationships. And only time will tell, even with Asbury, only time will tell if the fruit of revival will be there. All I know is that God is inviting hungry people to turn to him. And that's awesome. His invitation is still there for every person. Every person who lives today, there is an invitation to come to God. The Bible doesn't clearly define the word revival. It's sort of a a, a modern world. But the Evangelical Dictionary of World Missions, which is a, a, a big dictionary, it defines it as this. Revival is the work of the Holy Spirit restoring the people of God to a more vital spiritual life. Not just their own spiritual life, but their witness and their work. And he does this by prayer and by the word of God. After they have repented from their own spiritual decline. That's the full definition. Beautiful. Each piece can be taken and looked at. But revival may have actually been what the apostles and the early church understood as what was normal to be a Christian. We shouldn't have to be seeking something that should be our everyday life. If you look at the book of Acts as we've been reading it, that was their everyday life, that they were sharing Christ and people were coming to Christ and miracles were happening. All of these things were taking place. They didn't call it revival because it was the way they were expected to live out their faith. So let's be prayerful. Pray for Asbury and and this next generation of college students 
This week specifically, I would ask you to join in prayer for our local colleges. If you're a a leader this week, you have like a home group or you're serving in Bible study here at the church, I would ask you to take uh, one of the the prayer guides for the day of prayer uh, for college students. It's out at at the Connect desk. I'm asking you to pray for our students. And I say our students because there are many Christian students in our local schools. They may not be Christian schools, but Christians go to school there. And so they need to be prayed for. As I said, I spent Friday night at WPI. There's a whole group of students there who are seeking God. I've adopted that campus to be my prayer focus this week. If you go to the website, the Collegiate Day of Prayer, you can adopt a college. And the local colleges are on there and just to pray for them and to be faithful to them. Pray for the faculty. Pray for the staff. If you want to pick up one of the prayer guides and you're not one of the the small group leaders, that's okay. But um, I only have about 20 of them out there for you. But I know that God is up to something. All of these things being woven together, even the movie coming out this week, even this, this planned day of prayer, which was planned over a year ago, This day of prayer chose Asbury College over a year ago to be the place where they meet and have some of their their speakers and some of their talks and some of their things going on. They didn't know this would be happening this year. Only God knew. And so they're gathering there. So, So God is up to something bigger than we could imagine. And I want us to be hungry for God. I want us to be satisfied with God. I want us to understand that we are hungry. God made us with an appetite. It's an appetite for him, but often we're feeding off of other things, thinking that those things will satisfy us. Those things will never fully satisfy us. Only God will fully satisfy us. Amen? Amen. 